This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm co-founder and co-host Steve Ryder, and today we're going to go back to the Strategic Philanthropy Global Summit that my partner John Ramstead had the privilege of co-hosting, and we're going to feature an interview that he did with Brad Lominick. This is one that John absolutely loved, and we wanted to air this because next week we're going to feature some new content giving you all some updates on what's going on with John and myself. So uh, here's this week's interview with Brad Lominick. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Tom Matson here for the Strategic Philanthropy Global Summit. It is Thursday, day three. And day three, as you know, if you've been joining in, is all about building your tribe. You are in for a treat. The next hour is going to be outstanding. Um, Brad Lominick is joining us. And uh, Brad's got an amazing background. He's a business entrepreneur speaker, a leadership consultant, author, and longtime president of Catalyst, largely credited with growing the organization into one of the largest and most recognized leadership brands and gatherings today. Uh, for 10 years now, Brad's led the Catalyst Conference and garnered a reputation as a convener of America's most respected leaders, including names you'll know like John Maxwell, Jim Collins, Malcolm Gladwell, oh, we gotta talk about that, he must have been a hoot, Seth Godin, Mark Burnett, Tony Dungy, Marcus Buckingham, Rick Warren, and many others. In 2013, he published his first book, The Catalyst Leader, and his second book, H3 Leadership, Be Humble, Stay Hungry, and Always Hustle, released in September of 2015. A prolific content creator for eight years, Brad has hosted The Catalyst Podcast, interviewing changemakers from across the globe and attracting hundreds of thousands of listeners per month. So he knows how to build a tribe, guys and gals. Additionally, he frequently blogs about leadership, the next generation, creativity, innovation, social media, teamwork, personal growth, and more on his website, bradlominick.com, and featured in Time, Washington Post, Fast Company, Business Insider, CNN, Inc., Fox News, and a whole bunch more. We're so excited, so blessed that you could join us today, Brad. Thanks for taking the time. Tom, you're an awesome reader of a, of a bio, man. I just recorded that. I'm using that from now on. You're going to be my intro everywhere I go. <laughs> well, my mom said I had the face for radio, Brad. So I yeah, me too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have hair in the face for radio. That's, that's <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes these video podcasts aren't as good as the audio ones, are they? <laughs> yeah. yeah people see you and they're like, wait, you're way uglier than your voice sounds. Like, Thank you. Thank you yeah. I pictured you totally differently. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, you know, Brad, John, don't you? you? You know where this guy comes from. You know his roots. You know, I do. I was actually in the middle of making a, a major pivot in my life coming out of an accident that put me in the hospital for two years. And uh, a mutual friend of Brad and I's, Pep Jackson, who's just an amazing man and, and mentor, both spiritually and business for me, uh, we got together for coffee and this, he, he handed me this book called The Catalyst Leader and said, hey, a friend of mine just wrote this you have to read it. And um, I'm blind in my left eye. It's very hard for me uh, to read a book because of the accident. Uh, and this is probably, Brad, one of the three or four books that I've been able to read that I have read in the last three years. And it was that good, that powerful, that impactful. So I really encourage people, if you're listening, get Brad's book, The Catalyst Re Leader and also uh, H3 Leadership, which we'll talk about. Um, but that's how I got introduced to Brad. And then we asked Brad to come on our podcast and it was just an incredible, uh, episode, powerful episode for us. So 
Brad, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're here and you get to share and everybody else here gets to benefit from, I, I know some of what you're going to teach in your lesson. So I'd love to have you start out because it's an incredible story with just kind of your journey from uh, Oklahoma to what's going on in your life today. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks John for saying that. I uh, appreciate that. And Tom for hosting and for everybody watching this, um, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an Oklahoma born, raised in Oklahoma in a little town called Bristow, which if you've, uh, if you've ever been to Tulsa, you're, you're fairly close to, to where I grew up about 25 minutes outside of Tulsa and was a son and still the son of a football coach and middle school principal. And, you know, in Oklahoma, when you're in a town of 5,000, you, whether you like it or not, if you're the son of the football coach, uh, you, you automatically get platformed into places that you, uh, you become someone who is well known in the community. And, you know, so for me growing up, a lot of my life was, was automatic leadership and automatic platform because of family. And, but, you know, I think personally, and a lot of people will probably feel this when I say this, that there was something inside of me that got a birth in me and given me to want to be out in front and want to be in charge and want to be someone who was willing to stand up for others who couldn't stand up for themselves. And, you know, so much of the leadership journey for, for me has been something that, that started really early. I can remember first grade in Mrs. Weaver's class, 30 kids in the class, you know, it's the first day of class, first grade. And by the end of the day, guys, like I was, I knew everybody's name in the class I knew sort of what they were bringing to the table. By day two, I'm doing trade deals in the cafeteria. <laughs> we got like milkshakes and, and Cheetos and peanut butter sandwiches trading. And, you know, I, I it just, it, it came automatically to me. And there was just this sense of, man, like I, I had something on my life that felt like I was supposed to be a leader and uh, went to high school and then went to college at University of Oklahoma and there uh, was a history major, which was uh, pretty much a worthless degree. Although I had learned lots of things. <laughs> you got to read lots. You got to read lots of cool books, though. I, I did get to read lots of cool books. Yeah. Um, and I graduated, uh, was, you know, was, was thinking I was going to go to law school. And then I ended up on this ranch in, in Colorado, which uh, John has been to before, a place called Lost Valley. And man, it was just this five-year journey for me of working on a ranch, playing cowboy, riding horses every day, taking care of guests, and a, a very established working guest ranch, a four-star resort place that, for me, really grounded so much of my work mm. ethic, my work theology. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're 22, 23, and you're placed into positions of – being in a, in a role where you don't have any idea what you're doing, um, you, you start to figure out that, man, I better make sure that I'm hustling mm. in, in this place. Mm -hmm. and so I spent five years, again, riding horses. Uh, out of that, I came out of, of being in Colorado and wearing Wrangler jeans and the cowboy hat and the tacky shirt and ended up joining a, a little small consulting firm in Fayetteville, Arkansas that was doing a lot of business management consulting with large nonprofits. And one of our clients uh, out of that group was a, was a company, an organization called Enjoy, 
which John Maxwell had started. And at this time, this was like 1999, 2000. John was just starting to ramp up in terms of his organization and doing leadership conferences and simulcast events. And so I got involved with him at first as a consultant to his organization and then, and then joined quickly thereafter full time. And so for me, really the last 15 years of my journey and my the defining my leadership journey and sort of being able to talk about leadership or write about it or have any sense of being an expert has been based out of 15 years of working with John. We started something called Catalyst, which mm-hmm. has defined my journey and, and sort of the rest is history. So, um, but I'm, I mean, I'm just a knucklehead from Oklahoma. Like I'm a small town kid, uh, you know, multiple Oklahoma Sooners, uh, as we record tomorrow, they are in the final four. So yeah. if you watch this, they will have won the national championship. <laughs> That's the way. Yeah, that would be the goal is that they are in the finals on Monday and then they win the national championship. But, you know, I love leaders and, and love, uh, especially young leaders. That's really where my heart is. And I love being able to speak into the next generation. I would say that. Yeah, it's an, I know, you know, along that, I know that's a brief summary. There were so many lessons learned along that. You know, if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, the people that are listening today, Brad, they're, uh, you know, they're young entrepreneurs, they're building a business or, you know, they want to make a difference. And they're really kind of thinking about this whole concept of leadership, you know, what it is, how I become a leader. Uh, what, you said you really developed this philosophy or this, uh, you know, your what leadership is to you. Maybe you could share that and help just equip these folks on what they need to do to really move forward in that because this generation and each individual listening has a unique uh, opportunity to dramatically affect this world that we all live in. And I think people sometimes maybe discount the possibility of their individual contribution. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Maxwell's definition, John Maxwell's definition of leadership is the one that I would ascribe to and probably everybody would, which it's leadership is influence. Yeah. Leadership, especially today, is not about a title. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about power. It's not about being in the corner office. It's not about that sense that you've been given positional authority, although positional authority can, can allow you to be a leader. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't define you as a leader anymore. And the, mm-hmm. the old days of leadership were sort of that you had to have some of those things in order to, to be in charge. And I think today, which I think is really exciting, yeah. that anyone can, can be a leader because of the fact that influence is available to so many of us mm-hmm. in this age we live in. And the, 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 the example for me that is both positive and negative is that, some 23-year-old recent graduate who is living at home in the basement of their parents' house, eating Cheetos and playing video games, but happens to be uh, a social media phenom and is a blogger, now has millions of followers, potentially, compared to the CEO or the president or executive director who for 30 years has built a platform and, and put in hard work and just now is starting to have the ability to speak to maybe hundreds, if thousands. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that whole sense of like the paradigm shift is a really interesting place that we mm-hmm. all find ourselves today. And way more than ever, I think because of that, leaders have to understand that 
at the end of the day, like the, 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 the value you bring as a leader is, is built around, are, first of all, are people, people following you? Are you actually adding value to people? And then, and I've heard Maxwell say this, and I would agree as well, like the, the greatest way for me to measure my success of being a leader is if the people around me are actually flourishing. Mm. So it, the success of a leader is not based on their success primarily. It's actually based on the people around you being successful, the people around you thriving, the people around you flourishing. And that's where great leaders separate themselves. It's, you know, it's, it's one thing to build your own kingdom. Yeah. To build your own empire. Again, the blogger who says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now able to like quickly enter the leadership landscape because I can put a post up and have no expertise or no experience. That's fine. It still goes back to, are you actually helping people around you be successful? And, and that's for me still what the, the true definition or expression or sense of like, what's the impact of my leadership? What does that actually become? Well, you know, that's a great point. So what kind of, what does it take as a leader to be that person that helps others around you flourish? Well, I mean, it's, and I don't, I don't want to, I'm not the guy that like refers to books. Um, however, what I would say is that the two books I've written have been, for me, the definition of that. So the Catalyst Leader, there were eight essentials yeah. in that book that I would say are, are key to becoming a next generation leader. Um, H3 Leadership for me is, is the posture, which is saying you have to be humble, you have to stay hungry, and you have to always hustle. That's been my leadership mantra since I was in my early 20s, working, on, working at Lost Valley Ranch. That became clear for me. You know, like if I'm going to actually have influence and be a leader, I've got to be willing to, to, to make sure it's not about me. Uh, I've got to be willing to always keep getting better and learning, which is the hungry part. And then the hustle is the sense of saying, I will work my guts out and do whatever it takes to get things done. Uh, and so those, those still for me line up, but you know what? At the end of the day, yeah. it, still, it, it still comes back to, if you want to, if you want to see your leadership come alive, you have to be willing to always have a posture and a mindset that says, that says everything about the story I'm telling is helping other people be elevated around me. So, the, so ultimately what happens to the best leaders is they actually evaporate themselves out of the story. Mm. They, they remove themselves from the story. They, they exit stage right. They stand on the side of the platform. They, they move out of the way to let other people move into the spotlight. And that's the part of leadership that's the hardest because yeah. it's really easy when you're growing and learning and, and hustling and like trying to build your platform um, to have a mindset that says, whenever I arrive, I will make sure it's not about me. The harder part is when you arrive, mm-hmm. you actually be able to say, okay, it's actually not about me. Yeah, mm. that's, that's fascinating, Brad. I remember I had a coaching client years ago who was the best I'd ever met and one of the best in the world at a phone sales, you know, selling over the phone. 
And he wanted to take his whole message global. He came to me, he said, I want to be a, I want to be a Tony Robbins, except I want to license it. I want to train it. And I want to have people using my material over the globe. And I said, you're kidding me, right? And he said, what? They go, you will never get out of your own way. I know you. I adore you. His name was Alan. I adore you, Alan. You're awesome, but you'll never get out of your own way. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm committed to this. I'm committed. I said, I tell you what, we'll work for 90 days. And at the end of it, we'll have a coffee and we'll see which one of us is right. Because I, by the way, I think you're amazing. I think you're awesome. But I also think you're committed to being the star. And at 90 days, sure enough, we sat down and he's like, you're absolutely right. I don't know what I was thinking. And, and, and so for a lot of people, you know, I, I think it's a really good lesson because if you're early in your business, you are your business, right? You're a right. solopreneur, you, you're creating it, you're out hustling, you're, you're making calls, you're, you're building up relationships. And those very skills are the ones that block getting out of the way. Right. I mean, as we record this just before our summit, uh, Tesla launched their latest car and I'm a huge Tesla fan, huge Elon Musk fan. So I watched this morning, the launch video and sure enough, it's Elon. Right. And, he, you know, and, 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 and they know it had to be Elon because he becomes the symbol of their brand. And yet he's created a system where he is not in the way. He is yeah. not in the way. And yet there he was in the launch. In yeah. fact, it started with it with their head of development. And I thought, Wow, look at this. The head of development's gonna do the he's introducing Elon. <laughs> yeah. Right? Even even in a company like that. And so so two questions come out of this. When you're in that first phase where you are your entire business, what are some of the attitudes or mindsets or behaviors that you would suggest that people need to start developing so they're ready for that shift? Let's start with that question first. Yeah. Well, I, I still would go back to today practically. For me, the, the number one thing, especially for young entrepreneurs, anybody who's, who's starting something, who's trying to launch something, who's in the early days of the flywheel being stuck. I mean, Jim Collins' flywheel example is yeah. sort of you know, common language for a lot of us. Um, when you're trying to push that flywheel, there's so many young leaders who have great ideas, great intentions, uh, great concepts. The whiteboard is full. You know, there's all kinds of ideas on the board. Everybody walks out of the brainstorming meeting and goes, God, we got something here, guys. And here's where it breaks down. No one wants to execute. Mm. Not because you're not passionate about it, but you've never developed your execution muscle. Like you've never mm. actually created a system and a, and a habit and, a, and an organizational culture practitioner mindset that says, I'm willing and we're willing as a team, as a solo entrepreneur, Whoever you are, I mean, it might be just you and your spouse, or it might be you and your son, or it might be you and a neighbor, but it has to come back to you being willing to say, the buck stops with me, and I have to be willing to get it done. Mm. And that is the one thing, I think, when it comes to hustle, that separates the people who, who move the ball forward, because everybody has great ideas. And there are so many ideas laying around on the shelf and on the, you know, the whiteboard and on the, on the boardroom table that never got moved into the slipstream of, of make it happen. And, and the great news about this is you don't have to be smart to execute. You don't have to be the most talented to execute. You just got to be willing to. Mm. And that, that is such an important part of, of leading and also like, again, moving the ball down the field. I mean, over the years for me, guys at Catalyst, like we became known as this conference that was, it was 
innovative and creative and we'd always come up with something new and we were always thinking outside the box and, and people would come to us and go, man, tell us your secret to creativity. Tell us your secret to, you know, creating an amazing experience that rivals Disney and it rivals Cirque du Soleil. And, and I would say one thing we execute, Mm. we have lots of ideas and we actually take some of those and actually move them across the finish line. And that doesn't require like a bunch of innovation. It just requires like a willingness to say we will move the ball down the field and actually into the end zone. You know, one of the things you talk about um, on this execution side is, you know, the standards of excellence. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what are some of the standards, because this also speaks to the mindset that people need that really allows them to move into being able to execute, Brad. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, you know, excellence for me is such a huge issue, especially as a follower of Jesus. Like as a, as of someone who, who says, man, I'm, I'm passionate about my faith. Yeah. Um, it actually, it actually makes me more um, motivated and inspired. And actually uh, I am so more willing to say, I have to be the best in the world at what I do. Um, because there's, there's, there's a sense for me that if I, I'm going to create something as somebody who is a God fearing, God honoring, God following man, then I serve a creator who is great. So I want to be great too. You know, so that's for me foundational in in the sense of what a standard of excellence should be Mm -hmm. is that's the world of what I do, period. Like I have no other standard to follow other than best in the world of what I do. Now, do I always hit that? No. I'm pursuing perfection. I'm not perfect, but man, setting a standard that scares the daylights out of me has always been something that I've tried to live by both individually and in leading organizations or leading projects. Um, And here's the thing about that. Like everybody looks at a standard and says, well, I can't hit that because I'm a one man show or I don't have the budget or the resources. I don't have the people behind me. No, you can hit it. You can hit it. It just takes, it takes intentionality. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about standards going along with execution is that then when you throw in innovation to that, innovation typically the best things, the most creative things come out of places with the lack of resources, not with more resources. Mm-hmm. More resources actually make you lazy. Good they, point. They lower your standard many times. Because you end up saying, well, I'll have somebody else do it. I've got a whole team here. Yeah, outsource it. <laughs> yeah, we can just throw money at it. And I believe that innovation many times, most of the time, comes out of the places where you're desperate. Love it. And Love you it. You look at it and go, I, I got $3 here, guys. Like, what can I do with $3? Um, yeah, what excellent thing can I do with $3? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and, and don't be afraid of failure. I mean, that's the other piece which – Before we switch to that, Brad, I want to jump in because I think there's a a really key point for me anyhow, and and maybe for other uh, listeners, viewers, the excellence. Let's, let's take an example. When you're doing your events, what is something like, you know, a lot of people listening to this do events. We do events. John does events. Anyone that does our VIP upgrade is getting free tickets to our events. What's an example of something that you chose to do in your events that would be excellent and a, and a metaphor for what you're just sharing. Yeah. Well, there's, there's several, I'll give you one. Um, you know, when it comes to the, the standard of production quality, 
um, when we started doing Catalyst, we, we didn't say we want to be compared to other leadership conferences in our space. We said, we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to create a standard that, that is the best in the world. So therefore, we had to go look at organizations and conferences that spent 10 to 15 times what we could spend budget-wise mm. on creating their production quality, the lighting, the stage elements, the, um, you know, the, the audio quality, like the whole experience inside of, of a room. But man, we, we would spend arguably 15 to 20 times less than the, the conferences that we were comparing ourselves to. At first, that was really like frustrating and actually like depressing. <laughs> because I looked, at their, I looked at their budgets and thought, man, what can we do with that? Here's what it made us do. Like, I remember the first year we did Catalyst and we looked at our budget and we thought, this is never going to work. Well, I, somehow we got a hold of the Grammy lighting guy, the guy who does lighting for the Grammys. Somebody gave, gave us his name and so we called him and, you know, we talked to him and he was like, Where'd you get my number? I mean, it was, it was a little awkward. <laughs> Why are you calling me? Stalker. Yeah. yeah, stalker. But over time, here's what we did. We said, we said, hey, we don't have very much of a, mar- a production budget. Actually, we, we can't even really pay you. Can, <laughs> you know, we can pay your expenses, but you need to be part of this because we're going to change the world. We, we have a, we have, we're creating this tribe and this community of young leaders that are, that are going to make a difference. And you're going to want to be on this train. And we sold our, our lack of budget with a powerful vision and a sense of passion. Oh, I love it. At the end of the day, like he said, all right, like, I don't even know why I'm saying yes to this, but I'm in. And, you know, we, that's the way we ended up like building a level, a level of excellence is we went after the people that were the best in the world and basically sold them on, you, you're going to want to be part of this. Wow. Here's the lesson in that, which is so important, is, okay, 99 out of 100 people might say no. Sure. Fine. Man, there's, a, there's another list, and that hard work of just saying, we're not going to settle for, for, this, for the minimum sort of uh, lowest, lowest barrier to entry. The minimum know. viable product. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where we end up moving to usually without, without resources, without a sense of, of the, you know, man, we're, we're looking at this other organization going, gosh, I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. Well, you can at some point, but they probably were at the same place you were. And people. Yeah, see, I, lo- I love that example because there, you know, we, we run out one of our events we run is called the strategic Alliance summit. And it's all about deal making. We get people together and do deals. And, and people often think that it's just joint ventures, right? You've got a list, I've got a product, you mail my product to your list. And, and we say, no, there's 12 ways to do deals. That's two. And they're good ways. Nothing wrong with those ways. But there's 10 other ways that could have more impact on your business. And almost all of them involve this example you just gave, which is trading expertise for something of value, right? You couldn't pay that person. So instead, you created a vision and a journey that he wanted to be part of. Yeah. Right? And I'm sure, I'm sure eventually he got compensated down the path, but yeah. he got compensated right away because you appealed, in this case, to nobler instincts, right? Yes. A lot. Most, most of us walk in, most of us walk in and we, we think that 
we think that the people we want to have involved the most with our project, with our initiative, with our movement, with our new product, with, with our new vision, that the people that we think we want to have the most involved are going to be the least willing to say yes. Hmm. Well, that might be true if you're not leading with passion and vision and you're not, you're not capturing somebody. I mean, I, I love the, the quote from, um, you know, the, the story of, of Steve Jobs recruiting uh, the, the gentleman, I can't remember his name now, who ended up becoming CEO of Apple, who was at, who was at Pepsi at the time. Hmm. You guys may remember this story. Uh, and he, he said to him, he said, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come join us and change the world? <laughs> okay. Um, man, I, I think I want to change the world. You know, <laughs> that, that's just, that's so powerful. You, you have the, the greatest secret weapon at your disposal, which is your passion for whatever you're doing and hopefully a vision that inspires people. Well, you know something, Brad, to unpack that though, because this day is all about building your tribe. And to build yeah. a tribe, you know, leadership is influence. So what gives you the, what allows somebody else to get, to give themselves permission to let you influence them? And I love what you just said. You know, it's about leading with that passion and that vision, but you, you said something about a mindset that really jumped out at me. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, how we're wired entrepreneurs that they're actually looking for kind of the easiest path. They're looking for something because they're busy uh, that's going to, you know, allow that you know, there's so many things on our plates. But what you said is, you know what, we're going to focus on, we're going to be innovative. We're going to execute, but we're going to focus on excellence. And you know what, to do that, you had to make some really hard choices. You might've had to call a hundred people to find one person to just have lighting, uh, you know, just that experience that you wanted. Could you dig a little deeper into, you think that mindset that has, so helped you that, that everybody listening, if they pulled into their lives would just, just have meaningful benefit. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about creating a tribe is tribes today are, are very niched. Yeah. I mean, the, the beauty and the curse of tribes is that there are, there are tribes everywhere. And I mean, First of all, the, the book that everybody should read is, is Tribes by Seth Godin. Mm. Uh, came out in 2008 or 2009, somewhere in that, that general time frame. And by the way, like this fun story about Seth. So this is just a sidebar, but, but we had been trying to get Seth to come speak at Catalyst for years. And he kept saying no to us. And, and um, so, and he, you know, if you've, re, if you've ever emailed Seth Godin, he responds like, Immediately. I think he has, I think he has clones all over the world that respond. <laughs> to emails. But he kept saying no. And then finally we, we, we asked him in 2008, he said no. And then he, he responded a couple weeks later and said, Hey, maybe this year I'm, I'm thinking about writing this book or I'm, I've been working on a book about tribes and maybe we can do something together at Catalyst in the fall to actually release the book at that event, that might be the first place that we could actually release this new book. And so in 2008, we were the place, the first week of October where the book tribes actually released before it came out a month later in retail nice. or to anybody else. And so everybody who was at Catalyst that year, 12,000 leaders all got a copy, Seth spoke, and it was this home run experience. Um, but his book is, I think, one of the defining, you know, 
And it, it's still, eight years later, it's still incredibly timely around what we're talking about. But, but the beauty of tribes is that there's lots of them today. So mm-hmm. for all of us, the first lesson is this. Your tribe probably won't be as big as you think it should be. And all of us have to scale our vision and our sense of, of, of large scope of what a tribe is. Your, your tribe may be 10 people. Your tribe may be 30 people. It may be 100. It may be 1,000. It may be 100,000. But not all of us are going to get to be leading a tribe that has millions of, of tribe members. And those kind of movements are rarer and rarer today because we have so many delineations of tribal thinking and of community involvement. I mean, look at everybody's Facebook page. <laughs> you're not just, you're not just a member of like one Facebook friend group. You've got all these friend groups that you're now like customized and divided up into and segmented into, you know, so don't think just because your tribe might be small, that it doesn't have power and it doesn't have, it doesn't have influence. That's the first thing. The second thing is that everybody wants to feel like they have an identity connected to something bigger than themselves. That, that, is, a, that is a fundamental, like, uh, deep, intrinsic motivation within humans is I want to actually feel like there's a larger story going on that I get to be a part of. So if you can tap into that in terms of how you build your movement, then all of a sudden you've got something. We, we would always say this at Catalyst, like, we knew that we were, we were building a, a powerful, um, connected movement of leaders when the tribe would start to use possessive language. Mm. And, you know, this is, we, we hear this all the time. I mean, I just walked to the airport yesterday in Atlanta and a couple of TSA agents were talking to each other and all I could hear from them was they, 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 they won't let us off at this time. Mm. I can't believe they made that decision that we have to live by. I can't believe that they're pushing us to have to come in to work tomorrow. It was all about they. So nothing, nothing inclusive. Nothing inclusive. But when you, you know when you've got a movement in a tribe, in a community, when everybody's using possessive language. Mm-hmm. Ours, we, us. You know, and so we would watch our volunteers at Catalyst events, four or 500 people who would show up and pay for themselves to come <laughs> and help us. And they're using more possessive language than I am as the tribal leader. <laughs> and, and when you've got a tribe that like owns it more than you do and feels more intentionality towards actually like being the person who puts on the Jersey and the helmet of your tribe and the, like the, the letters and you know, all the look and feel that that's when you have something that's special, but that, that takes a long time to develop. And you have to be willing to release so much, again, of the power of the, of the platform of your tribe. If it's all about you today, as the tribal leader, you will sink the ship. Mm. There, there's no question about that. Now, you, can, you're still, you still have to be leading. You still have to be influencing. You still have to be playing your role. But I promise you, if, if it's about you, if it's a personality-driven movement, you will – you will quickly start to lose people because nobody wants to sign up to build your kingdom anymore. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I love what you're saying there. Do you know Cliff Ravenscraft, Brad? 
I know the name. Yeah. So when I was starting a podcast, he's the podcast answer man. I took his course and this is exactly what he was talking about. He says, if you are focused on getting 500 or a thousand or 10,000, or, you know, you, you want to have this big tribe. So you're focusing on just numbers. And when you do that, you lose sight of the individuals that you're talking about that are actually connected to, um, you know, to what you're doing. So what Cliff said, Hey, when you get started and maybe you just have your first 100 listeners. So instead of saying, man, I wish I had a thousand. What, what if you just envision there's a hundred people in the room that are following my blog, listening to my podcast, you know, uh, coming into my webinar and here's a hundred people who've given me permission to have influence in their life. What if I just focused on serving them so well, adding so much value and actually caring for them personally uh, that that's all that mattered. And so he really helped us start going to our podcast with this attitude of gratitude of the people that were showing up, how to connect with them. And that's, you know, continued to allow everything that we're doing to just continue to grow, develop engagement and relationships with the people in this tribe that, you know, we only started a year ago. Um, I'm running out of my basement working part time because the accident that I had. And I got to tell you, uh, that perspective for me that you shared, I've gotten that from reading your book and from Cliff in applying it uh, has just had huge fruit, not only for me, but I, I, you know, I'm really hoping for the people that we get to connect with. Yeah. Well, and, and me, Seth, Seth says this in, in the tribes book. And I, I think it's so true. Like a thousand people committed to your cause can change the world. Mm. Absolutely. Like a thousand people that are, that are in a and thousands, not the magic number, but just that idea. It's, it's the same thing with Malcolm Gladwell saying that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Seth says a thousand people who are dedicated, committed, bought in, willing to go with you to, to, to make your movement become something significant. You can change the world. And that's not that many people. Right. It really isn't. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it, that, that's, that's actually really good news for all of us. And, that, and here's, here's another piece of this that's so important. Um, you better make sure that you're, you're leading your tribe and your community and your movement with a with 100% authenticity. I mean, keep it real. Like, keep it 100. That's what the kids are saying today. Keep it 100. And it's so true. Like, you have to lead with authenticity. You have to lead with a sense of vulnerability. You have to lead with transparency. You have to lead with honesty. You have to be trustworthy. As soon as you start, and here, here's the temptation for a lot of leaders, is as soon as you start to become, again, important, significant, valuable, uh, you, you start to see that people are listening to you. They're, they're reading your stuff. They're, they're paying attention to you. You start to move away actually from the, from the truest sense of who you are because mm. all of a sudden you think that there's this perception of your leadership and your influence that you have to start to maintain wrong answer. Mm. The, the thing that drew people to you first will be the thing that draws people to you on a continual basis. So don't ever lose a sense of your authenticity as a leader, man, and I watch you guys are, you, you watch this, you've seen it. I've seen it. So many leaders I know who started out and then all of a sudden they started climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder and they got it three or four runs up the ladder and, and you look at them and, and they're a totally different person and they're just faking it. They're, they're just creating this facade that, that people who know them well are going, what happened to you? And that is the death of leadership today. The death of your influence will occur when you start to build 
a sense of reality deprivation into your world. And man, we see this in so many industries and it's such an easy thing to spot and actually remedy. But so many leaders struggle with the idea of, well, now I've like built this thing. I can't be honest with my team. I I can't be vulnerable with my team. No, you better be because otherwise they will leave your team. They will go find another movement that is trustworthy and honest and authentic. Well, let's talk about that because uh, our speaker on day two, Alex Sharfin, talks about this all the time, um, transparency, the importance of transparency and, and, you know, hero's journey people talk about and that. <clears throat> what do you suggest for leaders out there, uh, the case for transparency? I mean, you just talked about it from this one perspective, but, but what's your thoughts on how important it is? And I guess more more. <sighs> It's a different question. I'm going to scrap that question because what I found is some people get it and some people don't. Yeah. So let's talk about the people who don't get it. What's the business case or what's the emotional, personal case for the people that don't get it to get it? Because I saw this in the restaurant business early on with McDonald's. I was a junior manager at McDonald's. They shared their financials with us. They showed us exactly how much money the boss was making to the penny. And we were motivated like crazy to help him achieve that goal because we were included. And most restaurants would never share that information. And so for me, it just became like, well, of course you do that because that's the way you do it. But I've also noticed a lot of entrepreneurs are like, no, I can't tell people what I'm making, especially my staff, my team. Oh, my God, no. And so what's the, what's the case for those that are, I mean, there's going to be hardcore people who will never do it. Forget those. The people that are like scared to share but know they should. What's the case for them? The case is, is if you don't, uh, you're, you're, you won't have influence today. I mean, it truly, it it is that, it's that, for me, it's that black and white. Um, because you have a new generation of young leaders and of, of leaders who will come into your organization who they absolutely expect it and demand it Mm. because they've grown up in such a world that is, is surrounded them with, with stuff that's fake. It's the same is true with, with community, you know, like, this is the most connected, disconnected generation ever yeah. entering the workforce. They're more connected than they've ever been because of technology, but they're the most disconnected ever. So you know what they're craving? They, they crave something that's real, that feels like it's actually different than what they've grown up with. And so every single young leader walking in to an organization, they're looking at a leader CEO, they're looking at their boss, they're looking at a mid-level manager, they're looking, if you're a social entrepreneur, if you're a startup, it doesn't matter. Every single leader, person on your team is going to demand and expect a level of, of truth and honesty and authenticity from you. So, okay, Brad, it really sounds like you're speaking from experience. Was there a time when you were really challenged in, this, in your journey with this point with authenticity? Uh, well, I, yes and no. I mean, in the sense that one, I've lived, this has been an area that I've tried to live really well. Um, you know, for me, the, the hardest thing for me over the years was that the speakers I would bring in to speak at Catalyst events, mm-hmm. these were all like best selling authors and CEOs and celebrities and well-known speakers. Um, my challenge was that I ended up wanting to be like them mm. And I ended up like actually like starting to try to move myself as a leader 
more towards the way they lead and the, the way they speak and the way they react. And, and, and the challenge was no, like, Brad, you don't need to be the next John Maxwell. You, you don't need to be the next um, Andy Stanley. You don't need to be the next Bob Goff. You don't need to be the next whoever. Just, just be the, the, the new and current version of yourself. Hmm. And, you know, that's, the, that's the, the encouraging part of this is that we've all been wired for greatness. We've actually all been wired. And this is the, the miracle of, of us as humans. There's a God-breathed intrinsic piece of us that no one else has. Mm-hmm. And when we find that and, and live out of that and lead out of that, man, the, 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 that is the place where we will find our greatest sense of influence. And, you know, most of us never find that. We, we, we live our lives sort of circumventing and circumnavigating those places. I mean, the, the story for me, John, like I may have told you this one, but um, I did have a sort of a, a, an authenticity crisis moment a couple of years ago um, in that we, you know, our team went out for a, a little like team get together and we were, we were at Dave and Buster's, which is a, a yeah. uh, well, this is why I asked you the question. I was hoping. Yeah, good, set up, good setup. Good <laughs> setup. You know, we were at Dave and Buster's at this and we were, we were out for a celebration day with our team. Yeah. And we got all these tickets from skee ball and video games and whatever. And so we had a bunch of tickets and the team went to the, to the store at Dave and Buster's to buy, uh, you know, a prize or to get a prize, trade in the tickets for a prize. And I, at that point I was, I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't go in the store. And so they went in the store and bought two dolls. I don't know why they have dolls in a store at Dave and Buster's, but you know, <laughs> they bought these two dolls and they brought them to me and they said, Hey, um, these are for you. Like we got these for you as a present. Great. Okay. Awesome. Well, the first doll is, I pull them out of the bag and there's, there's two dolls. And first doll is this angel. And I'm like, okay, that's angel. What does that mean? Well, that's, that's, that represents you, Brad. Like you're the angel. You're, you're, that's the Brad we love. That's the Oh, leader. you're like, oh, thanks guys. Yeah. No, I'm, expe- I'm like, man, I'm an I'm awesome. Smelling a set up here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the second doll, I pull the second doll out of the bag and it's Satan. Like it's actually the devil. And, <laughs> and I said, okay, well, what's the, what, what, what does this mean? And they said, well, that's Darb. I said, well, what is Darb? They said, that's Darb. Darb is your alter ego. Oh my gosh. Brad backwards. And Darb is Brad backwards. And they, then they said, Darb is the leader that we despise. Darb is the leader that, that we're scared of, that we walk on eggshells around that we don't want to go into your office when you're around and you're dark because you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to say something to us that you'll regret later. You're going to, you know, you're going to cut us off. You're going to, you're going to put us in a place where you're in power and we're just your minions who get stuff done. And it was, it was funny, funny, ha ha. It was also like a really good reminder of, man, like I am so close every day when I walk in to being dark. And here's, here's the thing for me though, that was the lesson was most of us as leaders, we live the Brad life of, I mean, I'm the greatest leader ever. People want to follow me. I'm writing books. I'm doing leadership conferences. I'm putting thousands of leaders into an arena setting. 
people really want to know what I have to say about leadership. Okay, fair, but you're this close, Brad. You're this close to moving into DARB zone, which is where you're an awful leader. Like mm. nobody wants to work for you. Mm. And that's the self-awareness part and the authenticity that many of us, unfortunately, don't ever deal with. Mm-hmm. And it's, I have to know that DARB exists because the, 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 the reality is, is that the team knows that DARB exists. They so what, your team already knows all the stuff you're bad at. You're, <laughs> you struggle with. The team always knows. That's true. Before, and if not, your spouse will remind you occasionally. You're, exactly right. You're, <laughs> you're, exactly. So if that's true, then part of your job as a leader, if you're authentic, is to be willing to admit those things and walk in with a sense of self-awareness that says, hey, guys, like, you know what? I, I want to admit something to you. Sometimes I get a little intense. And they're all looking at you going, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. already know that. What they need to know, though, they need to know that you know that. Mm. That is a great – what do you think it takes, you know, for people listening to either develop relationships or a culture – or checks and balances so that they know when they're going from Brad world to Darb world yep. and they have, and they have those relationships, um, you know, to, to keep them in that area where they want to be growing and influencing and leading. Yeah. Have one person, have one person on your team who is the, the special agent that can call you out. Um, a lot of us think that our mm-hmm. team will, will call us out on this. That is fantasy land. Now you're my the team, you're the boss, right? Exactly. My you're leading boss. a team, even in a company, you're leading a team. It's hard to go like I, you know, one thing that's always struck me about that story with you, Brad, is that your team, you had the relationships and the trust with them at a level where they actually came and gave you those dolls. Most situations, they would just be in the corner complaining about Brad and Darb and never say a word to the person who they were talking about. And they well, no, gossip land. Yes. Notice they came as a team. Right. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't an individual. It was like the team going, all right, let's, let's combine forces here and let's take on Darb. Um, you know, but the people allowing, allowing or, or expecting people who you pay to actually be honest with you is mm-hmm. uh, many times something that we think is a good idea on paper, but it doesn't really ever pan out. So you might have one person on your team that you have said to them, Hey, listen, like I really need you to speak in to the places that are hardest for me to see. I need you to make sure I know my blind spots and I'm aware of those. And, and you're the, you have permission that one person has permission to walk in after the meeting and go, Hey, you know, that thing you said was awful. Don't ever do that again. Mm. Um, Most of the time that person though needs to be somebody that you don't pay. So it, it needs to be a friend. It needs to be an advisor. It needs to be somebody outside of your organization. But man, the, the, the real like practical side of this is that you're always, 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 always constantly uh, creating a culture in your organization that says we have permission to speak into each other. We, there's the hierarchy is flat in the sense of, that you can call each other out. Now, most people will never want to do it because again, they're afraid they're going to lose their job, but you as the leader have to be willing to create that kind of culture. And, and a lot of us on paper think, Oh, I have an open door policy. People can tell me if I'm, you know, but you have to just 
You have to reinvent this on an everyday basis. Um, and over time, what, what will happen, it did for me it, it, in our organization, is that, you know, people started to feel that sense of like, okay, I can actually do that. I, I, I can walk into Brad's office and say, hey, you know what? Like, I, the thing you said to me the other day really was hurtful. Um, and that, but that takes a lot of time. And mm-hmm. it, most leaders think if I say it one time, then I've, I've put it out there. Why is nobody, why, why didn't anybody follow me on this? Well, you said it one time. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. So we're, we're, uh, we're just chewing through this hour. It's awesome, Brad. Great, great insights in a direction that I didn't even think we were going to go, but I love it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how you can tie this in to doing good and making money at the same time. So people want to build a tribe. They've got their vision. They, they think they found their calling. Most people listening to this think they found their calling. And, and some, some, as they're getting to know, really have it because they're not like tingling with it, but, but doesn't matter. They, they, they're on a journey, right? So some are on a journey. Some have totally found their calling in either case. What do they do now? What would your advice be that they do now around the subject that the summits focused on, which is doing good and making money at the same time? What would your advice be as sort of as the last main segment of our time with you? What would your advice be to those people listening in? Well, I can base it on my story and base it on my experience, which is um, I've never been prepared for what was next for me, mm. but I always felt called to it. And, and that goes back to calling. But, you know, I've, when every season for me, I've had four seasons of assignment at this point in my life. And all those seasons have been places where looking at that season, when I started into that season, it was really daunting and I'd looked at it and thought, I'm not prepared to do this. I'm not prepared to sit in the seat. I'm not prepared to actually lead this thing. I'm not, I'm not ready. And that's a great place to be. Um, I think the fruit of, of that, that posture that says, man, like I'm going to have to really become the expert at being hungry and hustling and making sure it's not about me is, is going to have to be something that I live out every day. So that's good news. Like for all of us who are at that place of I'm walking into something or I'm starting a new season and I have no idea how I'm actually going to do this as well, even as well as even think, think about like how I make money. It's okay. Like you have permission to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Money. And I think income, revenue, um, profit, any of the things that for us, figure out like our scale of economy will always follow. Again, it follows passion. It follows calling and it follows a sense of, of vision and mission. And, and, and the beauty of today, again, for every 20 something who's listening or watching this, they know this is true. We've never been in an environment as a, as a culture, as a country, as people, as in, in the business world and, the marketplace where you had the potential to start something you love and actually make it into something that can make money and ha- and make a difference. Mm. Those th- we've never been in this, in this place. Not so, even close. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the field that we can play on now is, is so much bigger and broader. Um, but here's what you can't do. It's, this is true. If you just think, oh, I'll just get into that space. Like all the people who think they want to be Tom Shoes, they all want to be Blake McCoskey. Well, you know what? You know what Blake did when he started Tom's? Blake responded to a passion 
that had been put in front of him when he went to Argentina and saw kids mm. who didn't have shoes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, Blake didn't sit around and go, man, I wonder how I could make money. Yeah. I wonder how I could create a company that then I could 10 years from now end up selling and, but, and have a, and make a major difference in people's lives and also like create profit. That, that was never his mindset. Yeah. His you're mind- really talking back to that whole concept of authenticity. Yes. His mindset was always when he thought about the beginning of Tom's was, I want to help kids. Mm. How can I help kids who are in need? And so if you don't start with that sense of passion and that you're solving a problem by creating a solution that, that actually will help people, then, you know, you're, you're never going to be able to really live these things out, which is I can actually do good. I can, I can make money. And I can create an economy for me personally with an organization or business or social entrepreneurship that will sustain itself and allow me to, to actually create my own free agency and thinking and way of life. Um, and I, I, that didn't really answer the question, but it's so important, again, to go back to what is it you're passionate about? Yeah, no, Brad, I think it did because what I heard and, and is that is that if you're going to create this enterprise, this vision, this grand dream, you have to focus on either solving a problem or your value contribution first and foremost, get really clear behind that, and the other things will come. If you do it the other way around, it's like pushing water uphill. That's what I heard. Yes, and, and that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's a theme we've heard all throughout this event and, and several of the speakers that have, that have already shared their vision and several that are sharing over the next uh, couple of days. Um, because, and, and it's also been John and mine personal stories as well. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to downplay that if people are listening in because we know people are going to be in and out of different speakers, different times. That's part of why we did the summit. That, that's a critical takeaway for me is that you start with that. And I remember studying the story of Tom's shoes because my name's Tom. I thought he named it after me, right? But <laughs> he didn't. It was a shoe company of tomorrow. Go figure. It wasn't named after me. <laughs> and that was because he started with this story in Argentina and the tragedy and what he saw. And he was like, man, this is ridiculous. Yeah, another, but, another great story real quick is, is a, a good friend, Caitlin Crosby, who started something called The Giving Keys. And Caitlin is now, like The Giving Keys are now you know, ubiquitous with celebrities in LA and anybody who is on a stage somewhere, a musician, an artist, an entertainer, an actor, you'll see them wearing a necklace with a key on it. Well, that all started because Caitlin um, was a musician and she stayed in a hotel and she had a key at an antique hotel that was actually an old time key. And she thought that could be cool on a necklace. So she created her own like necklace that she wore. So it started with her own passion, like for, for design and for, uh, jewelry. Then hmm. she, in LA, she saw an ho- a homeless issue and she said, I wonder how I could help solve the issue of homelessness in the city of LA. Well, over time, she had people who would, when she was singing at concerts, they would say, Hey, where'd you, where'd you get that necklace hmm. that you're wearing? And she would say, I've made it myself. Well, more people started asking, more people started asking. So she thought, well, I'll make some. Well, she grabbed a couple of homeless brothers off the street in LA and said, would you be willing to help me make necklaces with keys on them? Wow. He's had a word on them that you were supposed to then inspire somebody else with. And I can't go into all the story, but here's what happened over three years. This organization 
that became a jewelry aesthetic design company for profit started to give hundreds of homeless people jobs Hmm. in the city of LA because Caitlin said, I have a passion for, for art, jewelry, design. I have a passion to help people who are homeless. I feel like I've got some potential here to have some friends who would wear this thing I'm making. Now, People Magazine, as just an example, when People Magazine do a bonus offer for a subscription, you know what people get in the mail as part of their bonus incentive for subscribing to People? They get the giving keys. You can ah. keys all over every retail outlet, Nordstrom's. So now she has built an empire based on, again, a really simple model, which was, I've got a, I've got a problem here in my local community that I want to try to solve. Um, so those are the things, again, you, you, you see the success, you see the, the highlight reel yeah. of stories of entrepreneurs, but you have to go back to the beginning to really see what does that mean for me as a leader if I'm trying to start something. Well, and here's the deep encouragement there too, I see. You know, there's, you know, what you're talking about, conferences, jewelry, shoes. These are incredibly crowded, noisy spaces. But if you connect to who you are and really operate in your passion uh, and you take that message and you bring it through yourself, you can bring that authentically into any market make a niche for yourself, make a business, do good, be profitable. So don't let anything, everybody out there listening, don't let it, whatever your idea is and however else is in this space, don't let it hold you back. Because when you connect with your authentic voice and you're bringing your passion into that space, just like those stories Brad talked with you, you're going to develop that tribe. You're going to make a difference. You will do good. So Brad, thank you so much. This has just been an amazing time together. I've learned so every time I'm around you, I just, I wish we could, we'd had a couple more hours and you had a couple more hours. Uh, so thank you very much. How do people get in touch with you? And I know you had something for the audience um, and maybe you could share a little bit about how, where they go to get that. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks again for letting me share and uh, bradlominick.com. So it's Brad L O M E N I C K.com is the best place to find me. I'm at that same name at Brad Lominick on Twitter, Instagram, uh, all the social media outlets. And then if you go to that website or you can go to h3leadership.com, I've got an extra little bonus thing that you can, you'll be able to download for free um, on those sites that we'll make available for, for, uh, for all the people watching. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.